Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Hallelujah, amen, amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 13. And I believe there is a very strong witness of the Holy Ghost. Early in the week, God began to speak to me about this particular passage that I'm going to preach from today. And already, I believe, through the songs that have been sung, the prayers that have been prayed, various testimonies that have come, come in throughout the week, Amen. There, what we just said, there's a miracle in this place. Amen. But I've been in church long enough to know just because there's a miracle in the place doesn't mean a miracle will happen. I've been around long enough to know that things God intended to do, people will leave today without God doing them. Because God's only half the equation. Amen. You are the other half of that equation. And God will not force himself. Amen. He might have come today to give you the greatest breakthrough you've ever got. But until you step into that breakthrough, amen, until you step out of where you're at and your current state of belief and you step into a, a place of faith, just because there's a miracle here for you doesn't mean you're going to leave with it. But I don't know about you, but I made up my mind. I'm not leaving here today with anything less than everything God has for me. I don't, you may laugh at me today. You might, Pastor, you lost your mind today. You're up there acting. You can do that all you want to, but I don't care what you think. I'm leaving with everything God has for me today. How many of you feel that way? I don't care what my neighbor thinks about me. I didn't come to impress you anyhow. I came to get the attention of the Almighty God. Amen. I, I didn't come to get your handshake. I came to get a touch from the Almighty God. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 13 beginning in verse number 15. And Elisha said unto King Joash, take bow, take arrows. And so Joash took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Joash, now put your hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, upon, he said open the window eastward. And he opened it. Elisha said to King Joash, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. This is Elisha the prophet speaking to the king. He's identifying to him what just happened. He said, what we've just identified, that arrow that you just shot, is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. And he said, take the arrows. That same arrow that I just told you represented deliverance. Take it. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote three times and stopped. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then thou would have smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now... Thou will only smite Syria but three times. In other words, what I just said, God planned on doing one thing. But because of your response, God's going to do a lesser thing than what he wanted to do. 
But the story's not over. Verse 20, Elisha died. That does sound like the story's over. I mean, how much more over can you get? But it's not over. And they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. And it came to pass as they were burying a man that, behold, they spied a band of men. And they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when he was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Amen. He, he revived and stood up on his feet. Amen. I want us to turn to one more passage in Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 1. Just one verse in your standing and then you can be seated. And you hath he quickened. That word quickened means made alive again. Amen. To put spirit back into a dead body. That's what quickening is. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Amen. For the next few minutes on this Sunday morning, I want to preach to this beautiful, great crowd that is gathered here today. Tell your neighbor, you look beautiful. Again, if you have your spouse next to you, that's the one you should be talking to. Amen. I do not advise that you turn to anybody else other than your spouse. Amen. You look great today. Tell them, pastor said you look great today. Amen. And for the next few minutes, I'd like to preach to you all on this thought. Bones and arrows. Bones and arrows. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Reading from our text this morning, taken from 2 Kings chapter number 13, we find two very passionate accounts from the ministry of Elisha. These two stories, the first told from verses 13, or verse 14 rather of 2 Kings chapter 13, all the way down through verse 19, and the second story is told in verses 20 and 21, appear to be very much unrelated and independent from one another. The first story, again told in those verses from 14 to 19, is a conversation with the king. The second story told in verses 20 and 21 is about contact with the corpse. The first is conversation with the king. The second is a contact with a corpse. The first is the account of a time when the prophet is, yes, he is sick, but he's still very much alive. And the second is the record of a time that is much later. Yes, they're only separated by a small uh, portion of space on the page in your Bible, but chronologically much time has passed because now not only is the prophet dead, the process of decomposition has taken its course, a process that takes pro probably even years, and now all that is left of the prophet is a pile of bones, skeletal structure. The first is a story that focuses on the power and the potential of an arrow, while the second focuses on the power and the potential of dead bones. One tells the tale of a time in the life of a prophet and the other shares the story of a time when the prophet is now dead and gone. Again, they appear, these two portions of Scripture, though pushed together on the pages in your Bible, they're very unrelated one to another. They don't look to have anything to do one with the other. Yet, as we look more closely, and we begin to understand the intent of the writer as this chapter and this book as a whole begins to unfold, we begin to understand that these two accounts are bound together in telling of a much greater story. Two accounts from the ministry of the prophet Elisha 
that come together to tell the one thing that gave purpose and meaning to the life and ministry of Elisha. The truth that binds these two stories together is not the cast of characters. Again, one involves a king and the other involves a corpse. It's not the chronological proximity one to another because one takes place while the prophet is living and the second takes place after he has been dead. It's not the object of our focus. One is focused on bones and the other is focused on arrows. No, that is not what brings these two stories together. Rather, it is a promise that was made. Amen. What brings these two stories together is a promise. A promise that we find made back in the book of 2 Kings chapter number 2. And in this setting, Elisha is standing on the banks of the River Jordan. There he stands with his mentor and the man of God in his life. The man that would instruct and teach him in the ways of God. Amen. We know this man to be the prophet Elijah. And as they stand together, we know in the context that soon chariots of fire are going to descend from heaven and they're soon going to take Elijah the prophet and carry him away into the heavens. And so the elder prophet Elijah turns to his protege Elisha and in verse 9 of that chapter 2 of 2 Kings, he asks him this question. He says, ask me what I will do for thee before I be taken away from thee. We know what Elisha's response is. Anybody today, what was it Elisha responded with? All right, anybody read the Bible before? Anybody? What's he, I know everybody's like, does he really want us to answer? I do. What, what, what is it he asked for? Double portion. Amen. How have you heard that before? All right, I know it's Sunday morning. Pastor doesn't usually ask us to interact on Sunday morning. He asked for a double portion. And Elijah responds and says, all right, here's the deal. What you've asked of me is a hard thing. You've asked of me a very difficult thing. You want a double anointing of what I have experienced. Here's, the, here's why that's a hard thing. Because many times we look at the success of people and we look at the anointing of people and we want that success and we want that anointing, but we don't want to go through what they went through to get that anointing. Amen. We, we look at people in the houses they live in and the cars they drive, and man, I sure would like that car and I would love that house, but I don't want to have to go through everything they went through to get that car and that house. And so the prophet Elijah says, you've asked a very difficult thing of me. He said, but here's the promise that I will make to you. If you are still with me, uh, when the chariots come down and take me away, then I promise you that I'm going to place a mantle on you of a double portion of anointing, of a double portion of, of the power of God, of a double portion of God using your life. Amen. A promise of a double portion. And shortly thereafter, the chariots descend from heaven. They carry Elijah away, and Elisha runs over, and he picks up that mantle that has fallen upon the ground, and he picks that mantle up, and he carries that mantle as a symbol of a double portion promise that has been made. And if you begin to read, and, and theologians and historians begin to, uh, to give account of the, the comparing the ministry of Elijah to the ministry of Elisha, and you'll find that, in fact, Elisha's ministry had upon it a double portion anointing. For every miracle that Elijah produced, for every one miracle that Elijah had performed in his lifetime, Elisha performs too. Now, the different theologians count different things as miraculous. But no matter what theologian, some would say Elijah worked seven miracles. 
and they say Elisha worked 14. Others say that Elijah worked 14 miracles and that Elisha worked 28. But no matter what theologian, they all agree on one thing, that as we come to this text that we read in 2 Kings chapter 13, that no matter what math they use and what they describe to be a miracle, that when we walk into 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha is one miracle away from a double portion. He's got one miracle left. Anybody, anybody with me today? I'm not going to preach real long today, but I feel in the Holy Ghost there's one miracle in this house today. Amen. There's one more miracle in this building today. God wants to do something in this house today. God wants to do something that man can't explain. God wants to do something that man can't describe. You can't get it from a prescription at the doctor's office. Amen. You're not going to get it from a lawyer or a psychiatrist. It is a miracle that God came to do today. So we're coming to the, this is it. This is, this is the end of Elisha's ministry. It's almost over. If we were looking at sand in the hourglass, there's just a few grains of sand that are left. And Elisha remembers back on the banks of the Jordan uh, that he had been promised a double portion. Uh, and he knows now the time is running out. Uh, and the Bible tells us he's sick of a sickness that he's going to die from. Uh, I don't know what illness it was. Uh, I don't know what sickness it was. But I can picture Elisha there in his room. Uh, he's propped up in his bed. His cheeks are drawn. His lips are pursed. Uh, his skin is pale and, and clammy. Uh, he's waiting. I just need somebody to walk through that door. I don't care who it is, uh, but I know God made me a promise. Uh, I know I've got one more miracle left. I just need a vessel. I just need somebody today that needs a miracle to walk in this place because I'm living under a divine covenant. Because back on the banks of the Jordan, Elijah made me a promise. And I'm not going down without the promise being fulfilled. One miracle away. So just briefly this morning, I promise I'm not going to preach any longer than the Holy Ghost would prompt me to this morning. But I want to look at the bones and the arrows this morning. Two, again, seemingly isolated incidents. But they're bound together because there's a prophet that's still got a promise. There's a prophet that's still got one miracle left in him. So let's look at these stories in the order that they take place first. Let's begin by looking at the story of the arrows. King Joash, the Bible tells us, is made aware that the prophet Elisha is sick unto death. And so Joash, doing what is expected of kings, climbs into his chariot and comes to Samaria where the prophet is lying in his bed preparing to die. He walks into the room and all that he sees are signs of sickness and that eerie awareness that death is lingering near. If you've ever been in the room, as unfortunately I've been many times of somebody who is about to pass, you can almost feel death is in the room. You can feel it lingering in the hallways as you walk into that room. And as Joash walks in, he feels that presence that death is near the bible tells us that joash cries his tears and he says his obligatory words of respect and consolation but the one thing that he misses 
is that yes, this prophet might be sick. He may not be doing well. His cheeks may be drawn. His lips may be pursed. His skin may be pale. And his pulse may be faint. But there's still something beating in the heart of that prophet. There's still a sense of expectation in the spirit of the man of God. Amen. Even though he walks in the room and it feels like death, there's a man laying on that bed that's saying, I still got a promise. Come on, you might have walked in this building today and it might have felt like just another Sunday. But what you don't understand is I've got a promise. This isn't just another building. It's not just another Sunday. There's promise in this house. That old prophet was too sick to get out of bed. All he could do is prop himself up on some pillows. But there was a sense of eagerness and expectation. This is it. This is the moment I've been waiting for. All the way back on the banks of Jordan, Elijah told me I was going to get a double portion. And now, Joash walked in the room. Here it is. My miracle is about to happen. I just needed somebody to walk in the building today so I could fulfill my promise. And I could perform this final miracle. I've been waiting on somebody to walk in the room that needed a miracle. I've been waiting on somebody to walk. I, didn't, I don't care who it is. I don't care what their problem is. Amen. But I'm living under covenant. I've got a promise. And so somebody today is going to leave with a miracle. Joe Ash, it's your lucky day. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. Joash was a candidate for the miraculous simply because he was in the right place at the right time. Elisha wanted that miracle more than Joash. Joash, this isn't even about you. It's about covenant. It's about a promise I made back on, on the banks of the Jordan. I made a promise. And, and, and you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And Joash, I can tell by the way you're acting, you don't really even know you need a miracle. But I need you to recognize how much you need a miracle because I've got to fulfill my promise. I've got to fulfill the covenant. Elisha wanted to see a miracle more than anybody else in that room. More than anybody else in the entire land because that was the covenant. And it reminds me of somebody in this building today. You don't even know it, but you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. You don't even know it, but God wants to heal you more than you even recognize you need to be healed. Can I tell you, my God wants to do more for you than you even know he can do. I came today to tell somebody he wants to deliver you from sin more than you want out of sin. He wants to fill you with righteousness more than you even know. Because my God made a covenant. Amen. 2,000 years ago, he came in the robe of flesh and he climbed atop a hill and he spread out his arms. They nailed him to that tree and he shed blood for a promise that I'm going to set the captive free, that I'm going to give hope to the hopeless, that I'm going to give sight to the blind. And he walked in this building today saying, I'm living under a covenant. I'm living under a promise.
And there's somebody in this building today, you've learned to live with your sickness, but God hasn't learned to live with it. You've learned to live with your sin, but Jesus hasn't learned to live with your sin. He wants to deliver you more than you want to be delivered. Come on, Joe Ash, I know you're here today. Joe Ash, I know you walked in today, and the prophet is leaning on his bed saying, I'm ready to give you a miracle. How many of you are ready for a miracle today? Some of you responded the same way Joe Ash did. Eh, you know, I guess if God wants to give me one, I'll take it. The prophet is desperate. I, I felt an urgency in my spirit this morning, Brother Alberti, that God is desperate to do a miracle for somebody. And say, well, define a miracle. He, the greatest miracle is when he delivers you from sin. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is when you walk down to an altar and you bend your knee and you repent of your sins and, the, and God forgives you. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is when you step into a, 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 a tank filled with water and you go under one way and you come out another way. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is when you raise your hands and he fills you with the precious Holy Ghost and you begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. He wants to give you a miracle. Do you believe he came today to give you a miracle? You don't have to leave the way you came. And there is a desperation in the Spirit of God as we draw close to the end of time. There's a desperation. The Bible tells us he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And everything that the prophet does is setting Joash up for a miracle. Everything he does, it's like miracle for dummies. Any of y'all feel like God has to work with you that way? I mean, if you read it, if you read, I know there's a lot of King James language in there, but the prophet is like, here's a bow. Here's an arrow. Take the bow. Take the arrow. Put your hand on the bow. Not only does he do that, but then he puts his hand on his hand. It's like a, a three-year-old in kindergarten. He's like, all right, now we're going to write the letter A. What he's saying is, Joe Ash, I don't want you to miss this because this is more than just about you. This is about a covenant. This is about a promise that I was given. And I'm not going to let you walk out of this room without a miracle because my promise is dependent upon this miracle. Amen. My promise. Listen, that promise, that covenant made at Calvary is the greatest covenant ever made because if you're going to go to hell, you're going to have to walk over the body of Jesus. You're going to have to trample over the blood of Jesus because that covenant is the greatest covenant ever made. He wants you saved more than you want to be saved. He wants you delivered more than you want to be delivered. So Joe Ash, come here, Skippy. Grab the bow. One hand on the bow, one hand on the arrow. Take the arrow, put it in the bow. Draw back the bow. Shoot it out the window. Now, Joe Ash, this arrow is deliverance. You got that, Joe Ash? Repeat after me. This arrow is deliverance. Good, Joe Ash. 
Now, God wants to give you complete victory, Joash. Joash, can you see that happening? No, can't. No, prophet, I can't see that. The Syrians are great. I can't see that. Well, Joash, that's why it's a miracle, because only God could do it. So, Joash, here's what I want you to do. You've got the arrows of deliverance. I, I want you to show how eager you are for God to do, not what you can do, but what God can do. Some of you right now aren't getting real excited because you're thinking about what you can do. How can I get delivered? How can I get set? It ain't about what you can do. It wouldn't be a miracle if you could do it. I don't dance because of what I've done. I dance because of what he's done. I dance because of what he's doing. Come on, Skippy, grab your arrow. Come on, Joash, grab your arrow. There's deliverance in the house. There's a miracle in the house. All right, Joash, I've done everything I could do. Now it's your turn. I gave you the arrow. I told you what it represents. Now it's up to you. You got to reveal how much you want it. King Joe asks, one, two, three, and then throws the arrow aside. The Bible says Elisha loses his mind. Now, King James, it says wrath. English, he lost his mind. He was hot. He was angry. He was, he was beside himself. Amen. He, he was angry. Not just because now you're not going to, but my promise, my covenant is dependent upon you getting your miracle and you're content to walk out of here with just winning a few battles when I intended for you to walk out of here overcoming and winning the war. And some of you are... are Good enough with a good Sunday service where you sing a few songs and, and clap on the right beat or maybe even the wrong beat. And you're good with a good Sunday where we sweat a little bit and say hallelujah three or four times. God is not just here today to give you a good Sunday. He's here today to give you victory. He's here today to overcome. He's here today to vanquish your enemies. He said, Elijah, Elijah, he said, Joash, you're messing with my miracle. I've got a covenant. I've got a promise. And if I don't get a miracle now, I'm going to die with a miracle left in my bones. You're robbing me of my promise. I was promised a double portion. And now because of your apathy, I'm going to die with one more miracle. Let me pause for a moment and say that you need to be careful of who you invest your purpose in. You need to be careful investing your promise and your purpose into those that live their lives like Joash. That they live every day just doing enough to get by. They live their lives never seeking to conquer and overcome. They never really seek to consume their enemy. They just want to make it one more day. Be careful investing in them because you'll get to the end of your life and realize that there's still something left in your promise. I want to invest in people that are hungry. I, I want to invest in people that want to win the world. I, I want to invest in people that believe in God's ability. Joash walked into a miracle waiting to happen. Literally, all he had to do was not mess up the miracle. 
The prophet was literally dying to perform one last miracle. How could you mess that up? Well, I believe 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 2 tells us exactly how you could mess that up. When it tells us that Joash did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he made Israel to sin. See, Joash was living in sin. And when you're living in sin, you can talk your way out of a miracle. I'm going to explain this for you. Joash exemplified for us what I like to call loophole living. Even though the prophet made it clear what God wanted to do. The prophet spelled it out. God wants to consume your enemy. He wants to give you such a complete victory that your enemy will not even remain when God is done. Yet still, he only smote the ground three times. Because spiritual instruction makes no sense to those that are living in sin. Thank you, Sister Carol. Spiritual instruction makes no sense to those that are living in sin. The motto of those that are living in sin is just do enough to get by. And spiritual instruction makes no sense to those living in sin. The worship leader says, let's give God praise. And Joash does just enough to blend in, but never enough to get a breakthrough. Because spiritual instruction doesn't make any sense to those that are not only living in sin, but they plan to walk out the door and continue in sin. Praise doesn't make any sense to those kind of folks. They have no intention of turning their lives around. They have no intention of walking out of Elisha's room different than when they walked in. And so it is spiritual instruction makes no sense to them. I wonder if everybody in this building today, amen, if you're really hungry and eager for a word from God, amen, I'm not content living in sin. Then when the worship leader said, let's give God praise, he'd have to tell you to stop giving God praise. He'd have to say, all right, that's enough. Because spiritual instruction makes sense to those that are hungry for a miracle. I realize that my victory is in my praise. I realize that my deliverance is in my praise. I don't just clap my hands because that's what Pentecostals do. I clap my hands because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. I don't just stand up and leap for joy because that's what Pentecostals do. I do it because that's where my victory is. I didn't come to smite the ground three times. I came to get a victory. Spiritual instruction makes no sense to those living in sin. Preacher says, raise your hands. Is that high enough, preacher? Is that good enough for you? Surrender, Lord, I surrender. God, I surrender. Lord, if I don't have a miracle today, God, if you don't step into my situation, I have no chance of overcoming. 
So I'm not here today just to do enough to get the preacher off my back. I need the presence of God to invade my world. I need the presence of God to move into my situation. I need the. Why don't you lift your hands right now and let God move in your circumstance? Why don't you raise your hands right now and let God move in your situation? This ain't about you pleasing a preacher. There's a miracle in the house. That's what raised hands mean. They mean I need you, Jesus. Lord, I can't do this without you. I'm completely surrendered to you, Lord. God, if you don't invade, if you don't make a way out of no way, I'm not going to make it through. Come on. I'm almost finished preaching, but there's a miracle in the house. There's one more miracle remaining in this place today. Come on, somebody, the arrow is in your hands. The deliverance is in your hands. God's given you the recipe to overcome, but it's up to you now. What will you do? Loophole, loophole living. Oh, pastor, you're, you're putting me on the spot right now. That's loophole living. Pastor, next Sunday, next Sunday, I'm going to straighten some things up this week. I'm going I'm to get some things straight this week. And next Sunday, I promise, Pastor, when you say raise your hands, next Sunday, I'm going to do it. Loophole living, that's Joash. Just enough to get by. Smite the ground three times and walk away. Because Joash was living in sin. Everybody say, all have sinned. All have sinned. Everybody in this building, including the bald-headed guy preaching right now. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. If he was chief, I'm lieutenant. Whatever, I'm a higher rank than him, I can promise you that. Everybody in this building, all have sinned, but there's a difference in, in sin. Joash was living in sin. And then we follow on to the next story. The difference is, though, that those that are living in sin can talk their way out of a miracle. They can think their way out of a miracle. As soon as conviction starts to settle in on a Sunday morning, they start making excuses as to why they can't respond to the Holy Ghost. Why I'm not going to come to the altar. Well, I got a roast on, you know. I don't know if that's still a thing. 20 years ago, everybody had roasts on. I got reservations at Longhorn. I mean, I don't want to lose my place in line at McDonald's, whatever your story is. But, but that's what that's what living in sin will do. As soon as God starts pulling on your heart, you begin talking your way out of a miracle. All have sinned, but some like Joash are living in sin. But now we find in the next verse, the prophet has been dead, but there's still one miracle locked up inside the bones of that prophet. Still one miracle because a promise was made. And I promise you this, I don't care what the circumstances look like around you. When God makes you a promise, not even the grave can separate you from the promise of God. Some of you are thinking about giving up because you don't see how God can do it. I want to tell you, Elisha was dead in the grave and God still performed this miracle. And these bandit, these friends are burying their friend, and they're taking him to the cemetery. They've got a plot already reserved. 
But as they're on their way there, they see a, a, a group of Moabite raiders. And, and so instead of taking him to the cemetery, the Bible says they throw him into the sepulcher where the bones of Elisha just happened to be laid. And a dead man comes in contact. A king walks out without a miracle, but a corpse walks out made whole. What's the difference? One man is alive and can talk his way out of it. The other man is dead and doesn't have any say about it. Now just think through this with me for a moment. If that man, if their friend would have been sick and they were on the way to the hospital with him and they see that group of raiding Moabites and they say, hey friend, we believe that you're going to get better, but for now we're going to throw you into this cemetery on top of these bones. What do you think the chances are that he says, oh, no, you're not throwing me on bones. Anybody in here, you'd be okay with getting tossed into a cemetery on some dead bones? See, that's the problem. When we're living in our sin, we can talk our way out of a miracle because it doesn't make sense. Amen. But let me tell you, the best place to be is to be dead to your sin, to where I know I'm at a dead end. I know I've got no way through. I'm not going to make it out of this. The only way I can get out of this is I've got to have Jesus. When you're, when you're dead in your sin, you don't make loopholes. I can't afford to walk out these doors living like I do right now because if I die today, I'm going to a devil's hell. I've only got one option. I, I've got to run to an altar, and I've got to get right. There was one miracle left inside the prophet. But you know who got the miracle? It wasn't a king living in a palace. It was a dead man that couldn't argue his way out of a miracle, that couldn't argue his way out of a blessing. Stand with me. That's why Ephesians 2 and 1 says, You hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Jesus, I can't afford to walk out those doors living like I am right now. Hmm. Some of you right now, you're too alive. You're too alive in your sin. Your, your spirit is arguing with me right now. I feel that pushback. This week in prayer, I felt that pushback. There was going to be people here today that you're still having fun living in your sin. You come to church because you know that's what you're supposed to do. But you really have no intention of changing the way you live. And so on a Sunday morning, the preacher starts preaching about miracles, and you start thinking of loopholes, excuses, reasons. Pastor, I've still got some other options out there. I've still got some connections. I've still got some people that are going to help me. Amen. But guess what? Dead men don't go through that, all of that. Dead men, dead men just touch the bones of the prophet. Amen. Dead men just say, I need a miracle. And the only hope I've got is there's one more miracle locked up in the bones of the prophet. So raise our hands all across this room. All have sinned. Some are still living in their sin. Then there are some that on a Sunday morning, Pastor, I can't go on this way. Pastor, I need a miracle. I, I'm not going to talk myself out of this one. If I've got to be cast into a tomb, 
If I've got to be laid on a pile of prophetic bones, whatever it takes. I'm not going to talk my way out of this one. I know I've been living the way I've been living. And if I keep living this way, I know the end result is going to be death. I know the wages of sin is death. And so I'm desperate for a miracle, whatever I've got to do. And I'm pleading with somebody in the Holy Ghost today. There's one more miracle in this place. There's one more deliverance in this place. Please don't walk out these doors and go on the way you've been living. I'll be there next Sunday, Pastor. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe there's, there's, no, there's, there's no promise of tomorrow. There's no promise of next Sunday. But I know right now, I can promise you that right now there's a miracle in this place. Come on, dead man. Come on, dead man. Come on, child of God who knows I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. Come on, child of God that realizes my only hope is in a sepulcher. My only hope is in a sepulcher where the body of Christ was laid. And if I can be buried with Christ, then I will rise with him. Come on, somebody. I'm not here today to condemn you for being a sinner. We've all sinned. It's not about whether you sin or not. It's about what you do in this moment. I know you're the king. I get it. I know you're in control of your life. I get it. I'm just a preacher. I'm just a preacher that showed up today to tell you there's a miracle in this place. And I know you've got the power to do whatever you want to do. If you want to smite the ground three times and have you another good Sunday service and walk out of this building. You can do what you want to do. But there's a pile of prophetic bones in this place. Come on, there's, there's blood that was shed at Calvary 2,000 years ago that is waiting for you at an altar. And if you will come and die, if you'll come and die through repentance, Come on, somebody, I'm not leaving the way I came. Is there anybody today, anybody, I'm pleading with somebody right now in the Holy Ghost. Is there somebody right now, the devil is doing everything he can to keep you. The devil is doing everything he can to stop you. Because the enemy knows if you ever get into the sepulcher, if you, get up, if you ever get up here to where the bones are. Altars, altars are where dead things are. Altars are where things are sacrificed. And if you ever get to the altar, the enemy knows you're going to walk out of here revived and renewed and restored. Jesus wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven. Jesus wants you to be restored more than you want to be restored. Jesus wants to love you more than you want to be loved. Jesus wants to heal you more than you want to be healed. Come on, somebody. Would just, just one more minute, would somebody come? Would somebody come? Again, I know spiritual instruction makes no sense to those living in sin. And when the preacher pleads and says, come to an altar, I know to the carnal mind it says, what difference does it make whether I come to an altar? But the spiritual man says, I've got to die so that I can live. You 
take what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for good you turned it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for Turn it. 
this room if we could bow our heads together whatever you came today whatever you came today in need of I promise you Jesus wants it more for you than you want it for yourself you say well I need healing 2,000 years ago the Bible says he took stripes for your healing he has more invested in your healing than you ever will well, I need deliverance. The Bible tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. In other words, he wants you delivered more than you want it. So I want you to raise your, you don't have to beg God for this. You're in the right place at the right time. You don't have to beg him to do it. If you, if you need forgiveness of sins, you don't have to beg him. You just have to ask him. If you will confess your sins, he is faithful. He shed blood to forgive your sin. The chances are good that none of you will ever have to shed blood to get God to forgive you. He invested more in your forgiveness than you ever will. He wants you to be forgiven more than you want it. So, Lord, we come to you right now. There's one more miracle. There was a covenant made 2,000 years ago that no sinner should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2,000 years ago, that promise was made. God, you want that for us more than we want that. So I'm asking you right now, Lord, whatever the need is, I pray as we pray that we would pray like dead men not talking our way out of this, not looking for a loophole, not trying to find some way to justify our sin, not trying to find some way to justify going back to our sinful way of living, but God coming to an altar of repentance and dying before you. Not my will, but thine be done, Lord. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I surrender all. I surrender all. Come on, I know it's an old-fashioned song, but it's the most true message you could ever say. I surrender all. I'm a dead man. Jesus, unless you save me, I can't be saved.
Come on, I know it's old-fashioned, and I know it's not the most beautiful message, but it is, if you think about it, the most beautiful message. Come on, that today, if you will die with Christ, you can rise to live with Him. If you'll be that, if you'll place yourself on that altar of repentance, All across this room today, I want to ask us together, I want to ask us one more time to repent, to ask God to forgive us, to come to the end of ourselves. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, Paul said he was the chief of all sinners. Lord, I know if we're ranking people, I can't be too far behind Paul. I am a sinner. Lord, there's not a day goes by that I'm not at least tempted to sin. My nature is sinful, God. But Lord, I'm, try- I'm tired of finding loopholes to justify my sin. I'm tired of talking my way out of a miracle. I'm tired of walking away with only winning some battles because I only smite the ground three times when you intend to give me the complete victory. And so today, God, I'm putting it all on the altar. I'm putting me on the altar presenting myself as a living sacrifice and I surrender all to you Jesus and I ask you to forgive me of my sins I ask you to accept the sacrifice of my confession Lord and as you said in your word that you would forgive us Lord and you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness and I thank you for it Lord I thank you for it Lord In the name of Jesus, I want us to give God praise right now. I want us to thank Him. As we get ready to dismiss, I thought, Brother Jones, I thought about that setting. In my mind, I played out that band of Moabite raiders are coming they're coming to they're coming to hurt that crowd of people they're coming to steal everything they've got the other people drop their friend off and they're running for their life the safest guy in the whole story is the guy in the sepulcher the safest guy in the whole story who's gonna mess with the guy that went in dead and came out living I know it's Halloween and today they're all they're gonna do all but that was a real dead man came to life ain't nobody messing with that guy Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.